is Pull Yourself Together with E. Shaver Booksellers. Hello, I'm Jessica, a lifelong lover of books, wide-ranging reader, fan of obscure British literature, all things Douglas Adams, long sentences, music biographies, the Oxford comma, always up for travel, except during COVID, and of course, Jane Austen. And I'm Melissa, an eclectic bibliophile and all-around nerd who also loves Jane Austen, comics, and cooking. Together, we run an independent bookstore in Savannah, Georgia. Each episode, we discuss the books we've been reading and recommend. Well, hello there, everyone. Hello. So it's been a minute. It has, but we're back, and we're determined. We're determined that we're going to make this work this time. Yeah, we took last year off. There was a lot happening with the shop and opening a second location, and we were just getting kind of settled with that. Um, and now we have some more time to devote to this again. <laughs> it's true. We um, we have an amazing staff now and an amazing manager and assistant manager, so Melissa and I can focus on podcasting and ordering great books and yeah, all the things. All the things. Um, so... Like we said, since we last left you, we opened a second location of the shop. We we are back from England. I know yes. we left you on a bit of a cliffhanger. <laughs> um, the last uh, episode we did of this, we were going to England for a couple of weeks, and we, we made it back. <laughs> we did. Um, we're not expats now. <laughs> so uh, as tempting as it was to stay in some quaint village and open a bookshop there, we decided that our work was here yeah. in Savannah, Georgia. <laughs> but... Um, Let's just jump in. Jessica, what have you been reading? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, I just finished a book that was the book I needed, but I didn't know I needed. (laughs) Um, So I don't know how many of you out there have read Brooklyn by Colin Tobin or seen the movie, but um, he has a new book coming out. Um, It's called Long Island, and it picks up about 20 years after Brooklyn ended. So we have really the same cast of characters. Um, I'm not sure how to pronounce, I believe it's Elias, Ellis, um, who is the main character. And she is living with Tony, who she chose to marry um, and stayed married to in Brooklyn. And they are living in Long Island. They have two children. One is getting ready to go off to college, and the other one is in high school. They have a daughter who's older and a son. Um, Ellis has been building a life for herself in America. Her husband is a plumber. They're, um, They're successful. They live near his family. She writes to her mother in Ireland every month, um, but hasn't seen her since she came home. And then one day, while Tony's at work uh, and Elisa's at home in her office doing some accounting, um, which is her job, a strange Irishman knocks on their front door, and this is all in the very beginning of the book, so no spoilers, um, knocks on their door and says, "Um, my wife's pregnant, your husband's the father, she's going to have the baby, The baby is not going to live in my house, and the day after it's born, I'm putting it on your doorstep. It's your responsibility. Okay. (laughs) And so this whole story goes from there. Um, She's confronted not only with her husband's infidelity, but the expectation that she's going to raise someone else's child, which she is 100% 
not willing to do. So, I mean, can't really blame her. <laughs> no, and and she really makes it crystal clear to the family. She said, "If the baby comes here, I will not be here." And that's the end of it. It's her mother's 80th birthday in Ireland, so she decides to take a trip to Ireland and goes. Her two children are going to meet her. Um ultimately, they have to tell the children what's going on. Um and when she gets to Ireland, she has a hard time with her mother because they've always had a rocky relationship. Um, her two brothers, one of them lives there and is kind of eh, not a ne'er-do-well, but he's, he's not thriving in life. Her other brothers are doing very well and live in England. And she, um, so she rekindles her relationships there's some resentment of her in the village um and she has to come in contact and then ultimately ultimately make decisions about what she's going to do with jim who was the fellow she left behind the last time um and there's just a lot of um i don't know it's I, I, it's hard to say much more without ruining the rest of the story, but it's it's beautifully written. Um, she she ultimately is unable to build the life that she wants, and she has to learn how to deal with the life that she has. And there's a lot of surprises and twists and turns getting there, and a lot of potential hurts. Um, and I would really like to see this story again. Like I'm hoping that he'll do one more where we get more of an ending to it. Which is interesting because you didn't necessarily think that he needed a second book. Right. But now that he's got a second book and he leaves it almost like he left his first book where we can imagine the lives these characters have. But now that we have imagined further out, I want more. Uh, yes, I Fair. guess. Yeah. <laughs> so therefore, the book I didn't know I needed, but I totally needed. I and thought I was now finished. I need more. <laughs> and now I need more, <laughs> sir. So if you're listening, please, please uh, forgive me for the butchering of the Irish names. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, yeah, I think we need another one. Sure. Okay. Melissa, what have you been reading? Um, well, something completely different from that. <laughs> um, so... Um, the first one I wanted to talk about is called Land of Milk and Honey by C. Pam Zhang, and mm-hmm. I think that's how you pronounce it. Um, she's the author of How Much of These Hills is Gold that mm-hmm. came out a couple years ago. Um, so this one is it's a very short book. It's a very small book, um, but it's set in um, a near future where climate change has mm-hmm. become a, a large problem. Um, the main character is a chef, and she has she's from the United States, but she's been living in England working. Mm-hmm. Um, and climate change is causing like global famine. Um, crops are dying everywhere. Um, countries are closing their borders so people can't come in and so she can't get back to the u.s like they have they have closed their borders um so obviously 
working as a chef in, you know, global famine is, mm-hmm. is difficult. Um, but she gets a job interview um, at this place in Italy, like in the mountains, like kind of right on the border. Mm-hmm. And she goes and it's this amazing farm where they're growing all of this beautiful food that she hasn't seen in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they want her to work as the chef at this farm. And so she takes the the job, not kind of knowing exactly what's going on there. Yeah, so I feel like there's some darker undertones. Yes, perhaps. there's there's like, definitely darker like undertones. It can't be that perfect. <laughs> no, 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 it's it's definitely not perfect. Okay. Um and one of the things that's interesting is throughout this, she's kind of lost her palate. Like she's used mm-hmm. to eating the really terrible flour made from like um, I can't remember what the grain is, but it's certainly not wheat. Okay. Um, and so she's used to eating all this kind of bland, not good stuff. I have a question. Yeah. Are they are they cooking insects in this one? Um, there is a little bit of that, um, but it that's kind of happening out in the rest of the world and okay. like where she is now. Like they've got all the things that they could want. Okay. So even though she's presented with this like bounty of all this amazing food, Mm -hmm. she still wants the kind of bland, tasteless stuff that she's become accustomed to. Um, and so it's her, um, basically rediscovering her passion and rediscovering her palate and a taste for food, but with this kind of darker, seediness that's going mm-hmm. on where it's not exactly clear who she's working for and what they're trying to do. Um, it gave me sort of the same vibes as the menu, like that sort oh. of kind of Ooh. weirdness where you know something weird is going on, but you don't know exactly mm-hmm. what's happening. Um, and <laughs> yes, chef. <laughs> yeah. Um, and <laughs> She is telling the story as a kind of flashback because she's at this conference and someone recognizes her and they're mm-hmm. like, oh my God, were you the chef from this So we place? know that this place doesn't exist anymore. Right. Okay. Um, and <clears throat> she's just kind of the nameless narrator um, okay. throughout the story. It's, it's a very dark book, um, but I will say in spite of the fact that the like global food shortage, like the descriptions of food in this book mm-hmm. are just amazing. Yes. So if you, if you want a book that's going to make you super hungry, I, the, and um, you liked the menu and you like the menu, like don't go into this thinking this is going to be a light and fluffy food book. Um, land of milk and honey. Excellent. So, Ah, well, I'll just go into dark from there since that's (laughs) a nice segue because, um, so I, since we've been to England and things have happened, I've started running our mystery book group and I find that I really am enjoying reading all these mysteries. Um, it's so weird. We're both the same in that respect that like we don't pick up mysteries very often, but Mm -hmm. when we read them, we really enjoy them. It's just not what I like when I'm like, what do I want to read? I just don't I, pick up a mystery generally. I know. I don't either. But I am going back and, and 
we're revisiting older and then we're reading newer things in this group. And so something that I had never read was Mystic River by Dennis Lehane. Um, I've read other books by him, but I missed this one. And I was one of four people who did not see the movie. I've not read the book and I've not seen the movie either. So So I'm I'm not going to spoil for you, but I'm going to say interesting things about it. One, um, I really enjoyed it. He is an amazing crime writer, and you feel like you are right there, and they're very much psychological thrillers. There's just more to the story than just somebody got murdered, and it's grisly, and detectives are going (laughs) to solve it. Um, So the novel's plot revolves around these three boys who are friends in the neighborhood. Um, They're in Boston, and it is a very Boston novel. I mean, if it's just, it's like just the goodwill hunting of novels. Yes, it is the goodwill darker, darker, if you can believe that, than goodwill hunting of novels about three boyhood friends who um, are kind of thrown together because of their father's work situation. And it's Dave Boyle, uh, Sean Devine, and Jimmy Marcus. And at the beginning of the story, you get a little background on them. And then the three boys are out playing, and they're they're actually kind of up to no good. One of them is trying to initiate them stealing a car, and they're kind of going around the neighborhood. And the other one um, is trying to... Sean is like, no, we shouldn't do this. This is my neighborhood. And anyway, this this... So they're kind of up to no good, and they know it. And then this car drives up, and it looks like they're police officers. And they get out, and they start yelling at the boys, what are you doing? What are you, you know? And so the boys stop what they're doing, and they ask them which one is from this, you know, are you guys from this lesser neighborhood? And one of them's like, yeah, I'm from there. And so they put him in the car, and they drive off with him. The other two won't get in the car. And as they're driving off with him, the other two boys, um, Sean and Jimmy, like, notice there's something, like, the car smells like apples, and it's got trash in it. Like, it's not really, they're like, this is wrong. This, these guys are probably not what they say they are. So they run in and tell their dads, and their dads immediately understand that this is not good. And the police are called, and there's a hunt, and ultimately... Dave is returned, and you find out very quickly that these guys were child molesters. Um, But at this point in time, you know, this is back when people didn't talk about this kind of stuff, and nobody talked about it, and Dave never got any help. And then we go forward, and they've all grown up, and um, Dave is married, but just, you know, not doing great at life because of what happened to him. Mm -hmm. And... um, and Sean is a police detective, and Jimmy is an ex-con, but owns a corner shop now and has turned his life around um, because his wife has died, and and he knew he had to be there for his daughter. This is giving me very intense sleepers vibes. Did yeah. you ever see that movie? I'm not sure I did. No. Um, yeah. Well, it's it's a very similar story. Childhood friends, they get into trouble, they get put in like a juvenile detention center and mm-hmm. Kevin Bacon is in it. And in, in what I think was his first child molestation role, <laughs> um, he's gone on to do several of those. Yes. Um, but yeah, so he yeah. molests them and then they grow up and they're 
kind of it's them dealing with the trauma of what happened to them yeah. and yeah there's some revenge yeah well <laughs> so this one is a little it's a little more complicated because everybody kind of knows what happened today but nobody talks about it yeah um so dave ends up marrying one of jimmy's cousins and and then not long, like this is still in the very beginning of the book. Um, Jimmy's daughter, who was with his first wife, his only child with her, just doesn't come home one night. She's out with some friends um, and and doesn't show up the next morning. And everybody's looking for her because she's not at work and she's supposed to be at work. It's her sister's first communion. She's not there for that. Um, they hear a lot of sirens as they're still kind of like coming off from the first communion. And, and so Jimmy goes to see what's going on. Cause he just has this bad feeling and they've found his daughter's car and she's been brutally murdered. Um, he doesn't know this initially, but the detective on the case turns out to be Sean. And so they haven't, Jimmy and Sean haven't spoken in years their relationship is brought forward again. And th- they have mutual guilt over letting Dave get in that car from childhood. And then, you know, not supporting him or being friends with him really after that. Mm. Um, on the next side of it, Dave has come home that night from being out at a bar. Um, and he was covered in blood when he came home. And he tells his wife he beat someone up in the bar parking lot, but she didn't see anything about it in the papers or anywhere about some guy being found. And so she starts to wonder what's going on with that and if he's the one who possibly killed Jimmy's daughter. And and it, it, it goes from there, and it, it takes an incredibly dark turn. Um, because it's been light and fluffy up until this point. Yes, no, (laughs) it gets even darker. Um, and there is, you know, in the end, there's not really a very happy ending for anyone in the book, but, um, justice is sort of done and you come to the conclusion that maybe it couldn't have ended any other way. Um, and I can't say more than that without ruining the plot line. Like, you've said a lot. <laughs> I know, but I, but I will say this is one of the very few books that the movie is um, just as good as the book. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, 100% just as good. If, if you're not going to read the book, you can see the movie and know that you have gotten everything out of it that you needed to from the book. Okay. Um, which is, I, th- that's not something I normally say. <laughs> Well, um, in keeping with the, the mystery vein, um, for our FOMO book club, we just read, um, a book called The Other Half by Charlotte Vassell. Um, and so it starts in, uh, a little village in England and... <laughs> oh, there's definitely a dead woman on the cover. There's definitely a dead woman on the cover. It looks like Elle Woods, um stumbled into someone's garden and something terrible happened, but <laughs> she tripped over her chihuahua. <laughs> Indeed. Um, but it starts in this village and a guy has come in to the local McDonald's 
Mm -hmm. And he wants to rent out their second floor where they do children's birthday parties. Mm -hmm. And he's just throwing down cash. Um, And so it turns out he, his name is Rupert Beecham. Mm -hmm. And he is um, like going to inherit a title. His family is full, full of money. Mm -hmm. Um, He went to Oxford. He, he, you know, all, all of the things. Um, it's his 30th birthday and mm-hmm. he's doing a black tie party at this McDonald's with all of his super rich friends. And so it's got McDonald's food and lots of drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I was about to say, can you serve alcohol at a McDonald's? Well, I, probably not, but he was, he was, he bought out the McDonald's. It was okay. just the venue for said thing. Okay. Um, so... They're at his party, and he is upset that Clemmy, his girlfriend, mm-hmm. has not shown up to the party, but he is insistent that he's going to dump her tomorrow, that he's done with her anyway, and mm-hmm. she's just trying to um, to make him angry. So the next day, um, a police detective who's girlfriend has left him and gone back to France is trying to better Mm -hmm. himself and get healthy. And this is throughout the whole book. He's trying Mm -hmm. to better himself. Um, Look, I can sympathize with that. Yeah. So his name is, um, Caius and he has, or Cassius and he's got the, um, same spelling last name as Mm -hmm. Rupert, but Mm -hmm. they're pronounced differently. And that's a big thing throughout the book. Anyway. So the police detective is running on Hampstead Heath, Mm -hmm. and comes across this dead body, which Mm -hmm. turns out to be Clemmy. Uh Uh-oh. And they so thus begins the investigation into what happened with Clemmy because they determine that she's died from asphyxiation because she choked on her own vomit, but her throat has been slashed after she's dead. Well, that doesn't make any sense. No, and so she's kind of thrown into the bushes. She's wearing like a fancy ball gown, this flower crown, mm-hmm. and so they can't figure out exactly what's going on. Um, hmm. Yeah, so the police detectives in this are just, they're not bumbling. They're just sort of kind of British um British charming, like yeah. they, they have weird quirks, like Cassius, who's uh, trying to get healthy. We'll talk about like on his way to work, he'll eat a croissant, and then when he gets to work, he has his actual breakfast, which is this like disgusting oatmeal with like goji berries in it and stuff. So he's mm-hmm. doing the show eating. So <laughs> well, that's just double the calories. <laughs> yes. That doesn't work. Um, but they end up getting a, a glimpse into the lives of these like rich overprivileged, um, 30 somethings. And I mean, it's basically horrible people doing horrible things. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because this book is definitely a setup for the next book. Um, it's got there as they are going through this murder investigation, mm-hmm. there's a larger thing that they come across. And so there is resolution at the end. You find out who committed the murder. But, is there a good reason for it? I mean, it's... I, sure. <laughs> I wouldn't commit murder for this reason, Susan. but okay. But I, some I, people may have so, a shorter fuse. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, 
but there's a there's the kind of bigger story that they're just sort that she's setting up in this book and it ends without any sort of resolution for that and almost a little bit um not like a cliffhanger but um there needs to be more yeah there definitely needs to be more and it almost makes me wonder just the way the book is paced and how Mm -hmm. it ends if she didn't come to her publisher with a much longer Mm -hmm. book and they were like okay let's break this into two books yes that that's how it feels so it feels very not not finished so would you call it more of a cozy murder mystery or more i think it's supposed to be satirical okay um that's the that's the read that i got on it like i went into it expecting it was going to be kind of funny like knives out sort of funny okay but it's not it's not funny like that. I think the all the specific rich people are sort of like stereotypes okay. for for those type of people. Um it my one complaint with it is that none of the characters are sympathetic in any way. And okay. even the one that they kind of set she's setting up to be a, sort of a sympathetic mm-hmm. character isn't really so we don't like any of these people no no we don't But we like laughing at them maybe Eh. Eh. okay um but we i did i did like the police detectives okay i thought they were interesting well very good yeah so that's the other half by charlotte vassal it is definitely a um sort of a satirical look at class in England with okay. a murder mystery with a murder mystery thrown in <laughs> what? mm-hmm. what's not to love indeed yes well I'm going to go somewhere totally different and break us away from mysteries <laughs> for a minute before I bring us back to them <laughs> later on um, so Melissa already has this book that she picked up in England um, and uh, and then she was sent a manuscript of it because it's going to be published in the United States and passed it to me because she already had the book. And I, um, middle grade books are like this for me as well, like mysteries. I love them when I read them. Like, I really enjoy a good middle grade book, um, but I don't read them that often. Yeah. And this one was exactly my cup of tea because I was a big Tolkien fan growing up. And I love Narnia and C.S. Lewis and The Wizard of Earth Sea was one of my... So, High fantasy is something I really enjoy from time to time. And this one is called Impossible Creatures by Catherine Rundell. And it is already out in the UK, but it will be coming to the United States in... I want to say the summer, um, but it... Yeah, it was Waterstone's book of the year last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's done very well in the UK. Yes, and it's um, apparently it's going to get the full treatment here as well um, mm-hmm. with all the maps. And so, if you're into maps <laughs> and uh, magical lands, magical creatures, um, and our our living situation, Earth having a magical component to it that most humans are not aware of, um, 
then this is the book for you. Yeah, it was interesting because they were kind of setting her up to be like the next Philip Pullman. Like, that's... I, And I can totally see that, although her writing is very different from Philip Pullman, and I would put her almost more in the... Um, but she is of that same vein. Um, I was going to say, sorry, did not finish my thought. I would put her more in the C.S. Lewis kind of realm, except without the allegory. Yes. Um, (laughs) I would never. (laughs) So she, um, but she has the same background. She's a classicist. Her study was in John Donne and his poems. She's actually written a well-received biography of John Donne. Um, She's a scholar. So she has a very similar background to Tolkien, Lewis, Pullman. She, she's an academic. Um, but this book, is it was just wonderful. I read it over a weekend, and I couldn't have enjoyed it more. Um, Christopher is one of the main characters, and he is a boy who lives in this world. He's around 16, 15, I think, and he is, um, he, his father is very protective of him, um, his mother has died because you can't have one of these without one there of the parents be being dead parent. or missing in some <laughs> way. Um, he is going up to stay with his grandfather, and the first thing that you're made aware of with Christopher is that animals love him. All animals love him. Squirrels, crows bring him presents. Uh, he's got Dickon vibes. Uh, yeah, he's, <laughs> but it, it, even more magical than Dickon. But yes, from the time he was young, animals have flocked to him. So he goes up to stay with his grandfather in Scotland that he's never met. His grandfather lives in this falling apart ruin of a, um, but still, you know, functioning um, estate kind of house. So you've set the perfect scene right there. And his grandfather tells him immediately, you can go anywhere you want to, except for the top of the mountain. Well, I mean, of course, he's going to go straight to the top of the mountain. I know. Obviously. I mean, hello. <laughs> and in the parallel story, you're introduced to a girl named uh, Mal, who has a magical coat that allows her to fly. And she is living with her grandmother because her mother has died and... Um, her grandmother really doesn't want her flying all over the place. But of course, Mal is flying all over the place. I mean, I do love a story with a magical coat. I'm just yeah. saying, the Darker Shades of Magic trilogy, uh-huh. Joseph and the Amazing Technical yep. Dream Coat. <laughs> I, I, exactly. So this magical go- goat, <laughs> this magical coat. <laughs> I, would, I would enjoy a story with a magical goat, too. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm there for that one. It would be it would be a different story, but sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, she does have a griffin, so not quite like a goat. Not quite like a goat, but it's friendly and sweet and sure. all the things as griffins tend to as be. Griffins. I mean, the last book I read with griffins was Heartstone, and, and they were they not were not nice. No, they were not nice. This one, this one is a nice one, and it's a wee a wee baby one. So, of course, you know from the beginning that these two are going to meet. You just don't know how. Maybe at the top of the mountain. (laughs) And there you have it. There's a lake at the top of the mountain. Sure. And the lake is a portal into the world of the archipelago, which has very serious Earthsea vibes to me. Um, It is where it's in the North Sea. 
It is where all the magical creatures and the magic of this world has gone to live, and it is invisible to humans. Okay. Regular, regular humans. And turns out Christopher's dad, grandfather is the gatekeeper. Oh, sure. And he will one day be the gatekeeper. So there is a crisis. Mm-hmm. He ends up meeting Mal in his world, goes through the portal into the magical world, the Acapelgo. Um, he is there. They make some friends along the way, and ultimately they are there to save the world. Gives me a little bit of like Stardust vibes too, with like the wall that you can't cross over. Yeah, and, like, it has yeah. a little bit of all of these components into it. It also has uh, interesting, I would say, Buddhist element that goes underneath it in all of it. And I don't want to give too much, like, I don't want to spoil the story for anyone because you really need to watch the whole thing unfold and get to the end. Um, there's a little bit of crying. There are sphinxes that answer riddles and give great information. Okay, so now you're pulling in never ending story. Yeah. I, <laughs> there are, uh, there is a wee tiny dragon who is my new favorite dragon. <laughs> he, um, is named Jacques. Sure. And, um, <laughs> There's kind of a soft-hearted berserker in there, and there are naiads and mermaids, and and all, all your all all of your a whole litany litany. God, I can't talk today. <laughs> a litany of magical creatures, and um, it's just I think it's an instant classic. Um, I would have gladly read this book aloud to my children, and I very much enjoyed reading it myself. Um, I, at times, had to remind myself that it was a children's book, Mm -hmm. and um, because I would be a little, I was like, oh, I want more detail or more information, and I'm like, no, this is a middle grade book. This is exactly the level of detail that needs to be in this book, so um, highly, highly recommend, and um, yes, I think it will be a classic from this point forward. All right, so I'm going to go back to darkness. Uh, <laughs> hello, darkness, my old friend. Right? And, well, all, all my books are dark this time. Um, so this one actually just came out, um, I think, last week. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's put out by my good friends at Tor.com, who, oh, you know, um, yeah. they, they don't put out books um, that mm-hmm. I don't love. <laughs> yeah, I've, they should be our sponsors. Yeah, right? Brought to you by Tor.com. Um, <laughs> so this one is called The Tux, Tusks of Extinction, and it's by mm-hmm. Ray Naylor. And he had a book that came out last year, I believe, called The Mountain in the Sea that had to do with octopi. And that was... Um, Mm-hmm. That was very popular. Um, this one is more of, I would say, more of a novella. Um, it's about 100 pages long, so mm-hmm. it is it is very much like a one-sitting read. So this one starts, um, I would say, slightly near future because thing, there's some technological things in it that are slightly advanced from where we are. Um, but the main character... Um, her name is Demira. She is an expert on elephant behavior and is, um, a ranger who is working with, um, working with groups trying to stop Mm -hmm. elephant poaching, essentially. Um, there are some very graphic scenes 
of poaching in this for like the ivory trade. So if yeah. you're sensitive to that kind of stuff, just know that there are it very descriptive of it in there, which mm-hmm. I did find very, very difficult to read. Um, but she is actually murdered um, oh. by poachers. And so the story goes forward about a hundred years in the future. And at this point, all wild elephants have been decimated by poaching. Um, oh, well, that's depressing. Yeah, yes, it is. <laughs> I didn't say this was a happy light. No, book. you did say it was dark. Um, okay. So all the wild elephants have been decimated. There are still some elephants left in captivity, but no mm-hmm. wild elephants. Um, so at this point, scientists have begun um, de-extinction. Mm-hmm. But instead of bringing back elephants what they've brought back instead are mammoths okay and so they've created this um basically nature preserve on the step of like siberia Mm -hmm. for these mammoths that they've brought back and they were um born via like captive elephant surrogates like that's how they were born so they put them out onto the step and they they're just failing to thrive because they don't know how to be wild animals. Like right. they don't have the skill set because mm-hmm. they were raised by animals that are not in fact wild animals. So what they decide to do Uh-oh. is take Demira's consciousness and put it into one of the she mammoths of this herd. And so she is going to teach these mammoths how to be wild because she's the only one that knows elephant behavior and knows how they are supposed to to act. Mm -hmm. So they put her into this mammoth and she teaches them and she teaches them how to be wild elephants, Mm -hmm. but she also teaches them some human things. Um, and it's a really interesting book. There's a little bit of hopefulness at the end, but I will say the big thing I got out of this book is just human greed and how human greed lies underneath every single thing that humans do. Well, that's depressing. Yeah, it it is. Again, I didn't say, hey, light and fluffy read, yeah. but it's an interesting it's an interesting discussion of de-extinction and how that process works and, um, de-extinction. Yeah. Bringing, bringing animals back. And it's interesting too, because one of the things they're talking about with like the mammoths is that they also need to de-extinct other species so that they do in fact have natural predators like because okay. it's like they have this so herd. they need wolves or siberian tigers yeah or, so yeah. so they're in the process of trying to bring back some of those other species as well to actually make this a full ecosystem mm-hmm. um yeah it was interesting yeah it's a very slim read yeah, very very small book and especially that's for, a lot packed into such a short read that's what i was yeah. gonna say it is very dense with stuff Mm -hmm. um, for it to be only a hundred pages long a novella yes yes um well well done because writing a book that's that densely packed and getting your point across that succinctly is a real art form yeah he did an incredible job with that and i felt like there wasn't anything
saying that I was like, oh, I just feel like I need more mm-hmm. explanation for that. I think he draws the characters well in that time. I, I Have just, you read an It's So... No, I really want to read um, The Mountain in the Sea. And actually, I bought it and when... So the author is... Ray Naylor. Ray Naylor. Oh. Um, I bought Mountain in the Sea when we were in D.C. at Lost okay. City Books. Because it was one of their staff picks. Mm-hmm. Like, somebody there really, really loved it. Um and I just haven't gotten around to reading it yet, but I now I want to read it even more because this was just so well done. Mm-hmm. Well, if that one has a slightly less disturbing undertone, I might I might <laughs> might pick it up. I'm not I'm not sure about the. Uh, um, yeah, I mean it it was it was yeah it was hard. <laughs> yes, um, but it sounds fascinating. Mm-hmm. It really was. It was it just incredibly well done. Well, excellent. Well, I I'm gonna stay on our kind of dark uh, path here. And um, I'm going to talk about another one I read for Mystery Book Club. So I find that I really like Tana French. Um, This is not new information. I know. I know. Um, So we talked about um, probably years ago now Mm -hmm. in one of our podcasts, um, The Searcher, which I am really enjoyed by her. And um, since then, I've read more of her books. Um, the one I'm going to talk about today is The Likeness, which is the second one that she wrote. She wrote it right after The Witch Elm. And um, it is not most people's favorite, but I really enjoyed it. Um, it has some elements of dark academia in there, which okay. I really enjoy. Um, so it, Is this part of her series? It is part okay. of the series. It's part of the Dublin Detective series, yeah. and they have... Um, some reoccurring characters in it, but it's also a book that you could pick up and it totally stands alone. You don't have to have read the first one. And this one is included in, I understand, but I haven't watched it. There's a series called the Dublin murders, um, that they made out of the first two books, the witch Helm and the likeness. Okay. Um, so the story starts with, um, a detective, Cassie Maddox, um, who's moved out of sort of the murder division and is doing um, like parole violations and other things now because she had been on a really difficult case and she just didn't want to do this anymore. But she had been kind of their go-to in the investigative crimes division um, undercover kid. So she had been involved years before um, at Trinity College trying to break up a drug ring and she had been playing a student and the student's name was Lexi Madison. It was a completely made up persona for her and um, after she finished the case, you know, Lexi Madison was retired and everybody thought that's the end of that until one day she gets a call from Frank who was her boss before and he says, you've got to come out here and see this murder. And she's like, I don't work murders anymore. I don't want to see a murder. There's no need for me to see the murder. And he's like, no, you need to see this one. So she goes out into the country. They get there. There's a girl who's dead um, in this abandoned building. And her ID on her says Lexi Madison. She's a student at Trinity in the graduate program. And she looks exactly like Cassie. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> so it goes from there. <laughs> um, Frank um, convinces Cassie, and this is all in the beginning of the book, um, 
to impersonate the dead woman and um, investigate her death and discover who so, she really was. So one problem with this, mm-hmm. if you're impersonating a dead person, the person who killed her knows that she's dead. So that's the interesting <laughs> part. So it turns out she lives with this group in, you could almost call it a commune, um, they're all graduate students. One of them has inherited this house okay. that is falling down. It's in an Irish village. The locals are very hostile towards them because um, they his his grandfather or great uncle that he has gotten the house from was not well liked. They don't fit in. They're academics. This is a working class village. It's a lordly manor. Um, they, they, nobody's a fan of them. Um, so they all kind of don't do anything in the village together and they're just at this house and they're slowly redoing the house. And they also have this very intense friendship. And part of the rule of the group is that nobody talks about their past ever period at all. Interesting. So they don't really know Lexi's past. Mm -hmm. Um, she's found in a cottage and the story is that because it was so cold that it slowed her bleeding and everything down and she almost died. Uh, okay. But because of that, you would have thought she was dead, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but she was really alive. Gotcha. So you do have to suspend some belief to go along with this. And that's most people's complaint is that they can't sup- suspend their belief enough to believe that this group accepted her. Mm-hmm. as their friend. Um, but they don't, there's undertones that they're all not sure about it. And there turns, turns out to be more and more and more and more different layers of what was going on with all of them. Sure. And, um, yeah, she, she forms, like, she becomes very enmeshed in this group, um, dangerously so. And, um, nobody's life is the same in the end and it's um it's an interesting construct it's it's more of a literary mystery um with deep psychological undertones oh sure (laughs) yes just how I tend to like my (laughs) mysteries um but I thoroughly enjoyed it and I enjoyed the academic parts of it and I was able to suspend my belief and it does in the end wrap everything up in a um, pretty satisfying way. So highly, highly recommend if you're a Tana French fan. And if you're not, you need to, need to see her. (laughs) You need to discover her. She is great. All right, Melissa, what other dark and... (laughs) Well, uh, I was going to say it's not as dark, but there's darkness here as well. Um, (laughs) So you all might not know that I am kind of a freak for anything that involves King Arthur. Um, mm-hmm. King Arthur is just catnip to me. So like anytime there's a new book that comes out that deals with like King Arthur or the Knights of the Round Table, like hundred percent there for it. So I'm just going to put this out there. Things about Melissa you might not know. Huge fan of pre-revolutionary and revolutionary American history, which I was not aware of. And I have a, I have just a sick crush on Thomas Jefferson and I know it's wrong. <laughs> so many ways, so, so many, many ways. ways. So that and King Arthur. Yeah. Go knew? figure. Who knew? Um, 
I mean, I blame it on the sword and the stone. I, I was very <laughs> Disney-centric um, when I was a child. But anyway, so this one came out um, last year, and it's called Perilous Times by Thomas D. Lee. And it is a take on King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table that is um, sort of completely different. Um, so yeah, Okay. Oh, you've told me about yeah, this one. So... Um, basically all of the knights of the round table, um, were given these, were given this magical, um, thing to eat by Merlin. And so they were all buried underneath these oak trees. And then Mm -hmm. when the realm is in trouble, they will return from the dead to protect the realm. So anytime there is any sort of danger um which means that they have come back and actively fought in all of the wars that england has been a part of oh so um, um, did they norman invasion yeah they were involved yep they anytime anytime the realm is in danger um and so christopher marlowe also plays a part in this (laughs) marlowe is i he he's in some of my books as well which are my my uh my uh vampire witch time traveling fantasies he's always a bad guy well sure he's a bad guy in this as well um so he has made a deal with the devil and he now has immortality so Mm -hmm. he is basically their handler so when they come back (laughs) from the dead he's the one that points them in the direction of where they're supposed to be going and what side they're supposed to be fighting Mm -hmm. on and all of those things so the book starts with Kay, um, one of the Knights of the Round Table, um, coming up from underneath his tree, mm-hmm. and he's you know trying to figure out like what the danger is and what he's supposed to be doing, and he is near a um, natural gas fracking facility, mm-hmm. and there's a young woman who has basically is trying to blow it up because she like, again, this is another climate change book Mm -hmm. where, um, you know, it, it is the, the earth is right on the precipice. Like things (laughs) are going very badly and there's not really a chance of bringing it back at this Mm -hmm. point. Um, so I wonder what that would feel like. Yeah. What would that be like? Um, so (laughs) she's kind of a part of a fringe group that are almost sort of like, climate terrorists that Mm -hmm. are trying to stop the raping of our planet essentially. Mm -hmm. So she's trying to blow up this fracking facility. And, um, so he thinks he's supposed to be helping her like that. Mm -hmm. He's like, okay, so this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So he saves her and gets her out of this facility Mm -hmm. and, um, like joins her on her group in her group. Um, and, He's so he's not entirely sure what his mission is supposed to be because Marlo has not contacted him at this point. Huh. And then you also find out that Lancelot has come back as well. Mm-hmm. And Lancelot is a is a fancy boy and he and Marlo have a bit of something something on the side. Mm-hmm. And um shocker. Yeah, right. <laughs> And so Lancelot is kind of working on the other side of this. Mm-hmm. So Marlowe is directing him to help these companies that are 
making the fracking facilities. And so, and it's, it's interesting because part of what they're trying to do is bring Arthur back. Okay. Um, and Arthur will only come back under certain conditions. And so that is kind of the end goal was trying to get Arthur to come back. Um, it's, I really enjoyed this book simply because there are so many different little nods to other Arthurian things Mm -hmm. in there. Um, when you first meet Merlin, he's wearing a Hawaiian shirt and it's very much like Merlin in the sword of the stone when he Mm -hmm. comes back from the Bahamas. Um, so Thomas Lee is a big Arthur nerd as well and, Mm -hmm. and has done, has done the work to put in things like little Easter eggs there for the go. people that like, yeah. that really are into Arthurian mythology and like know all of these things. So it was really fun. Um, it's there's a lot of funny parts in it. Um, the stuff with the stuff with the climate um, is a little heavy handed, but it's basically like what do you do or what do the knights of the Round Table do mm-hmm. when the enemy is something like climate change. Mm-hmm. Like when that's what they're trying to fight, when it's yeah. not a clear cut, like, Oh, world war two, we're fighting this person. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, well, that's the kind of world we live in right now. So it makes yeah. sense. I mean, there's no, yeah, it, yes, the enemy just keeps changing and there's no clear cut way. So interesting. Yeah, it was, it was uh, but really it's good. accessible for people who just like fantasy. Oh and yeah. Yeah, like absolutely. So. Like it, there's, there's things in it for people that, you know, are deep nerds into mm-hmm. Arthur, but, but yeah, it's just like a good fantasy read. Nice. I will say there, the, it's interesting because it's almost like 500 pages long. Um, mm-hmm. and the pacing is a little weird because I think the ending comes very very quickly okay. so like there's a lot packed into like the so last you're just kind of going along going along and then going it's along. like <laughs> yeah yeah oh, well <laughs> maybe it was because someone's like and you are at 500 pages and you <laughs> no, need to wrap, wrap it up, up. <laughs> yeah so that book is already out though oh correct? Yeah, no, yeah yeah it came out uh last may mm-hmm. very nice um well let's see we have one book left mm-hmm. which is also dark yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty dark. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's something that we both read. It's by our friend Taylor Brown, mm-hmm. who we adore. Uh, it's called Rednecks. So this is Taylor's book that I have been like eagerly anticipating mm-hmm. ever since he told me that he had this idea to write this book. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, other interesting facts about Melissa. Uh, well, I lived in West Virginia, Virginia. for a while, um, so this is a story that I knew about, but I think it's a story that lots of people don't know about. Um, but also, my cousin is one of the people that helped start the West Virginia Mine Wars Museum, mm-hmm. so I, I know a lot more about this than probably a, a normal person would. Um, but it's about the mine wars that happened mm-hmm. in West Virginia um, in... Yeah. Uh, 1920s yeah um, 21 1920 and 21 yeah um it was um it was a dark time it was well i did not know a lot about this history because i'm not from the area and it's something that was never talked about in any of my history books Mm -hmm. even in my american like in college i didn't really get 
any of this. And it's interesting too, because it seems like there would be plenty of opportunity to talk about it, especially with like discussion of labor unions Mm -hmm. and all that kind of thing. But it's, yeah, it's, I mean, never was taught. You hear about the, you know, you kind of get your Sinclair Lewis meatpacking industry sort of stuff. And then you get your Dickinsonian steel workers and, and other things, but no, this took place in right on the border of the American South. And, um, and there were an army of 10,000 coal miners involved in this. And yeah, and then the actual well, U.S. Army was involved. Was in involved it. in it and declared war on their own, own citizens. citizens and dropped bombs on their own, own citizens. citizens. Yeah, and so <laughs> um, things we didn't know about Taylor, even though we've known him for a while, is that some of this is inspired by his own great-grandfather who was a Lebanese-American doctor in the area during the time. Yeah, so the main character is inspired mm-hmm. by his great-grandfather. And he's called Doc Moo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and he is... Um, He's an amazing, like, the story circles around him and also a couple of other main characters. It starts out with Smiling Sid Hatfield. Oh, yeah, of the Hatfield and McCoys. Yeah. All 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 of this this. is tied together. (laughs) I know, and I had no idea. And you, like, Sid is an unlikely hero and someone that, in normal life, I don't know how I'd get along with. But in the book, you're really rooting for him. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's also... I think it's Frank who is um, African-American and has fought in world war one and mm-hmm. come back and working in the mines and his mother, who is a force of nature. Yeah. I she's love her. She's a delight. Yeah. <laughs> she is just trying to hold her ground. What I thought was interesting about this story is that Taylor did a really good job of making it clear that, cause I think when people think about coal miners in West Virginia, mm-hmm. they think, uneducated white men. Right. Like, but there, this was very multicultural. Like there were, there were black miners. There were, there were people from all over who came and were miners in West Virginia. It wasn't just these out the holler. Right. Boys from West Virginia that were in the mines. This, this was not. No. And a lot of these people too, in this area were mixed in with indigenous native peoples. Mm -hmm. So, there was also that component going on in their communities. And, um, yeah, there it, it's, it's just amazing that the mining companies had the amount of autonomy that they had and were able to get away with what they got. Well, not amazing, actually. Sorry. I'm <laughs> yeah. amazed by very little these <laughs> days, but shocking. Yeah. I still found it shocking. Um, it also goes into mother Jones, which, mm-hmm. My mom being a hippie. Again, another force of nature. <laughs> I know. I was I was not um I was familiar with sort of the Mother Jones magazine and, and that, but I didn't know about the real woman that it all came from. And she is fascinating. And I did a lot of rabbit holing mm-hmm. to um find out more about her. Yeah. Well, and I mean I will say things have gotten better. Um, but the mining industry is still big in West Virginia. And what a lot of people don't realize is none of that money stays in In, the state. Like all of those mines are owned by people who live out of state. All of that money goes out of state. It's still an incredibly dangerous job. It is. Like, I mean, 
you would hear stories all the time about cave-ins and mines, like the Sago mine that mm-hmm. all those men died not that long ago, like it's several well, years ago. Well, and all over the world we still hear stories about mining. And, yeah. And especially mining for coal, which we're really don't need to be using anymore. No, and I mean, that is not a renewable resource. No. Anyway. Anyway. Um, But this this book is masterfully written. Um, I I think it is one of my favorites of Taylor's. Mm -hmm. Um, I really enjoyed it, and I hope that it will reach a wider national audience. Yeah, I, Um, I think this, I think it's a great story. I think it's a story that people need to know about, and I just, like, the way Taylor writes it is just wonderful like i mean like which with each book i read of his like his writing just gets better Mm -hmm. and better and better and this one just like he just tells the story with so much humanity he does and you feel i mean you care about you're invested in and care about these characters um and again these are the people that are forgotten people that you normally in your everyday life might look at in a very different way. And yeah. I think Taylor's good about writing about those people. Yeah. Um, in a way that brings their humanity to the forefront. I would agree. Yeah. So that one comes out in May. Um, so it's available for pre-order now. Um, and if you order from us, we will have signed copies, which yes. is always nice. And, and we will be doing a launch event with him as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, but, but we're actually talking about it because we really really enjoyed it yeah it was really really well done all right now yes rapid fire like what are you reading right now what am i reading right now i am reading the strange eventful history um by claire massad Mm -hmm. and it is giving me very much parisian vibes the parisian which i really enjoyed Mm -hmm. um it takes place it starts um in Al- Algeria, um, right at the beginning of World War II. Okay. Um, and, yeah, I am really enjoying it. Okay. How about you, Melissa? I just started a book called Annie Bot um, mm-hmm. by Shana Greer, and it comes out in March. And it is um, basically the main character is an android like mm-hmm. AI, um, who is purchased by a guy as his like companion. And so she is his girlfriend for all intents and purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very much a discussion of like sentience, um, power dynamics and relationships, yeah. um, consent. Uh, it's really interesting. I am, I'm not that far into it, but it, it is bringing up a lot of issues. So interesting. Yeah. So that's going to be, yeah. AI. Oh boy. So that one comes out in March, but, Mm -hmm. um, Oh, and the strange events comes out in May. All right. Yes. Oh, and check out our, our reading challenge this year. We have something new on our, on our website and it's on our Instagram. Um, Um, so we have a, a different prompt for each month. Uh, January's prompt is a book that was, nominated or won an award in 2023 what are you reading for january um nettle and bone by uh kingfisher it won the hugo award last year the prophet by paul lynch yes that won the booker prize that won the booker prize is mine yep all right yes well i think that's all for this time 
I think so, but I um, I'm glad we're back. It feels good to be yeah <laughs> good to be back, and um, we've got it on the calendar every month. Yes. so we we have a plan of action. All right. All well, right. Um, hope you all are reading all the books and uh, be well.